This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? It's going really well. <laughs> uh, I like this. I like this energy that we're bringing. It's been a little bit since you and I got to chat on the podcast. Uh, I think maybe our last episode, we were joined by Dave in Oxford, and we got to walk down memory lane with the two of you guys. Yeah, I'm still a little traumatized by that one. Yeah, it was it was a good one. It was it was great to hear those stories. I hope that people enjoyed them as well. Uh, if you haven't been listening to that kind of side series that we've been doing, we've been walking through the last 25 plus years of The Pulse with Dave Elliott. The first time we were able to get him on the podcast, we got him to talk about himself, which I don't think we ever thought we were going to get to happen. But here we are. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's been really good to do those. And I know maybe to some listeners, it seems pretty self-indulgent, which it is talking about ourselves. But last year, we had actually planned on doing a, a series of articles celebrating our 25th anniversary. And COVID hit, which basically changed all of our plans for last year and took away any like extra space for a bit of a, a vanity project or a look back. So I, I think like you doing these podcasts with Dave has been a really good replacement for that. Actually, it's, it's good for the staff to listen to that and see where it came from. Like, cause you know, so many people have not been here for that long. Right. And I think the community too, because it's weird. We still see ourselves. I definitely do still see us as like this upstart, but yeah, we've been around 25 years now. Like, and people new to the County, if you moved up here 10 years ago, you don't know the County without our paper and our publications, which is kind of a weird thought to me. Cause I, I just still think of us as so new, but the reality is I'm just so much older. Uh, well, sure. And and what you said there, too, about the staff hearing that story is great, because like I mentioned on that podcast, I came in in 2017 and it was easy for me to think that the pulse has always been the way that it is. But in going back through 2017 was a big year of change for the pulse. Right. And the pulse that I came to know was a very different one than what the pulse was even two years before that. Yeah. So it, it's been cool to to hear about it. Uh, the Maybe the least cool part is hearing about all of the weird places Dave slept because he, <laughs> he always lived in the office and it's not too different now than it was back when they first started. But at least his bed isn't, you know, in his cubicle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I slept in this office a couple of times. You know, maybe because of hard work and possibly because of um, some celebrating after the hard work. Sure. So why don't we jump into it? We got a, a couple of interesting things to talk about this week. Why don't we start with uh, something that Ephraimites are going to see on the ballot coming up here. There is a, a Pratt tax proposed for Ephraim. Yeah, and the Pratt tax is the premier resort area tax. Uh, people are probably somewhat familiar. I think we talked about this. Uh, Jackson Parr probably talked about this a couple of times yep. a couple of years ago. Sister Bay already has this. And what this is, is a half percent additional sales tax added to items sold within a very specific community. So you go from a 5.5% sales tax to a 6%. And that entire portion of that goes back to the village that is collected in. And not every community can do this. So right there, it, there's a special designation, right? Yeah. It's, um, I, if I have this right, I think it's like, if more than 40% of your um, your community's retail sales are related to tourism, you are allowed to enact this tax. There are a couple of exemptions. There's only like six communities in the state that can do it. And there was exemptions and kind of special accommodations made, I think, for Rhinelander, Ephraim, 
and Sister Bay and a couple of others. Sturgeon Bay tried to enact one a couple years ago to help pay for its roads. The voters approved it, but it would have required special legislation and approval from the state legislature to allow Sturgeon Bay to do it. And that went nowhere, despite a couple of attempts by um, Representative Joel Kitchens. So Ephraim is doing this. Um, this will go on the ballot in, uh, it's on the April 6th ballot. If it's approved by voters, then it can be enacted. And basically, the question most people ask is, like, what what items get, get that extra tax? In the village of Ephraim, where almost everything is hotels, restaurants, tourism-related items, it's basically everything sold in Ephraim. Sure. Yeah, I, I guess my question is, it's a half percent tax. It doesn't seem like something that people are going to notice too much. Are there any downsides to having a Pratt tax? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit more out of your pocket every time you buy something. You know, So if you were to buy a piece of art and that might, might cost a couple grand in Ephraim, it's going to cost a little bit more. Um, you're going to pay a little bit more sales tax. For the village, it's expected to raise about $165,000 in revenue each year. Um, so there's downsides in the sense that, like, yeah, it's another tax on, on users. And for people in Ephraim, it's a tax on local residents, even though it's the, the question as a the village worded it a little bit, uh, I would say, like a slightly disingenuously. It's like, it's okay, but they're saying on tourist related items sold at tourist related businesses, which might make the voter go, okay, this is on tourists. It's basically anything you're going to buy in Ephraim. Right. Locals are going to pay it and visitors are going to pay it. So it's not, it's not a tax on visitors. Um, and the reason that these special accommodations for this tax exist is so you can offset the special costs incurred by the number of visitors who might come into a small town over a year. So you have right. a village like Ephraim with 200 people that in the summer has collects, they're number four on room tax collections. So they're one of the busiest communities in um, the county in terms of visitors in the summer and people in those lodging establishments. That takes extra wear and tear on a road that a community of 200 people just has, has trouble keeping up with. Um, the village of Sister Bay's premier resort area tax brings in a little over $200,000 a year. I think it's like 230000 Um So yeah, Ephraim would probably bring in less than that because Sister Bay has a much more diverse uh, retail base, but about the same lodging base. Sure. Is that a pretty big drop in the bucket for like, what would they be able to use? You mentioned the roads, but how much could that actually pay for? Well, you can use it on roads. You can use it on sidewalks. You could use it on, uh, let's say, shoreline improvements. And Ephraim has a lot of work to do on their shoreline with the high water levels of the last couple of years. This year, the water levels are down as, as of last check, I think it was down 11 inches. So that doesn't seem to be quite the problem, but they're still fixing all the things from a couple of years ago. Um, I talked to village president, Mike McCutcheon. Oddly enough, I said like, so why do you need this? Are you, do you have a, what's the budget shortfall that you guys have and where's the gap? And he was very cautious. No, 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 we don't have a shortfall. We don't have a shortfall. We don't have a gap. This, we don't need this money. We just want it. Well, and yeah, that was kind of a weird thing to say. So, so you don't need it. So why enact it? And his answer was, well, you know, we were advised that it's a mechanism that's available to us, so we should take it, which I'm guessing voters don't like hearing that. Um, taxpayers don't like hearing that. Sure. Then he said, well, we don't need it, but we do have this list of projects. So I think they actually do need it. <laughs> um, yeah, it could be trying to undersell the needs, but maybe not the right underselling to do when you're trying to up taxes. Yeah, I mean, usually if you want to up taxes, you got to sell someone on the need to it to to sell to to tax them more. Um, the they do have long term concerns about you know they have they did the major um, highway reconstruction 
two years ago. There are long-term plans to extend some of those same benefits, sidewalks, lighting, improvements to pedestrian access to the northern side of Ephraim. So this potentially could help them fund that. It could help them fund improvements or changes to Anderson Dock and Anderson Barn if they feel they need to protect that from high water and, and deterioration over time. There's the shoreline projects. There's HVAC systems for the village hall. So they actually do have a laundry list, but he wasn't saying, well, we need this money for that. But, you know, if you don't have it from this, it's going to go on property tax rolls. So there, I don't actually know what he means when he says we don't need the money, but this is a mechanism, but we do have this laundry list of projects. It's a little confusing. Right. Um, when, it, when it's clear that the money would be good put to things that are useful. Yeah. It's also kind of interesting that at the same time that Ephraim that that board is going to its voters for the premier resort area tax, they voted against doing the room tax. And the room tax is more specifically a tax on, when I say against doing the room tax, they have a 5.5% room tax in Ephraim. They voted against the increase up to 8% that um, our colleague, your boss, Dave, Dave Elliott, has been trying to sell. Right. If you want more information about that particular thing, by the way, we did a, a whole podcast on why Dave is pushing for uh, an up in the room tax just a couple of weeks ago. So that one is still kind of fresh in the archives. Yeah, you can you can do the deep dive on that if you want to listen to it. Right. Um, but it, it's interesting that Ephraim is saying, well, we, we don't need this money, but here's this mechanism available to us, and we're going to enact the premier resort area tax, which is actually going to tax your local people when they go out in your village. But then said no to increasing the room tax, which would bring in more money than the premier resort area tax, Roughly, it would end up bringing about $170,000 more to Ephraim based on the both the increase in revenue to the, to the village, but also the way that the Visitor Bureau would now be kicking back money to fund the Ephraim Business Council so the village wouldn't have to. That's as far as I'll go there. I don't need to go in the weeds with everybody, but it ends up being about $173,000 right. that would estimated to go back to the village. So, And that one very specifically does target tourism uh, in the way that it, it's a lodging tax and not a sales tax. Correct. It, it hits only people who are staying in lodging establishments. Um, there are plenty of arguments against that as well. But it, in terms of like trying to raise revenue to take on these other projects, it's interesting that you would say no to this one that only taxes visitors, but then yes to the one that taxes your residents as well. Right. Um, the... The long-term implications, even if it's only one hundred seventy-five to 200000 a year, where it really starts to add up is when you think of these as long-term things. So over five years, oh, that's a million dollars. So if you're budgeting out and you know that the premier resort tax or a room tax is going to bring in $200,000 a year, so a million dollars over five years, now you can actually go, oh, that's going to substantially increase the amount of roads we can improve, the amount of shoreline we can fix, and or... Uh, an HVAC system that you, you can start ta- thinking of it in bigger terms. So, right. Uh, so when is this vote coming up again? April 6th uh, and all Ephraim residents will vote on that one. Great. Uh, moving on to uh, some other things to talk about. Uh, what's the latest on vaccines? It's been a little bit since we've talked about it, uh, but things are, are moving forward pretty well. Yeah. I mean, you know, in my own family, my dad has been vaccinated since uh, January. He's 78 and was, was a caretaker for my mom. So he was able to get va- vaccinated very early. And so I was just talking to some family members and they're going to get together and it's, you know, an aunt, an uncle, <laughs> a, a cousin, and everyone else is vaccinated. I'm like the only one in the group that hasn't gotten any vaccine yet. And that that is just so cool to start seeing like, oh, this is such a, a cool thing that people can start doing this now. 
right. sa- safely and feel good about it. Right. And, and you haven't gotten vaccinated yet because you don't believe in it, right? A hundred percent. I'm hoping to get vaccinated very soon. Right. Um, but, you know, overall, that just tells you like the pace is quick quickening so much. Um, I know. The, I remember when this first started happening in January, we had thoughts of like, okay, maybe, maybe we'll get vaccinated in March. Right. And then things got delayed out the gate a little bit. And we were like, okay, well probably closer to like June or July. But now that like that March date is getting realistic for people again. And the, the pace has quickened so much with Johnson and Johnson entering into the fray that really exploded things a little bit. Uh, and, and Biden pushing his numbers more and more or his, uh, what he wants to get vaccinated. It, this, the speed is a lot better than it was maybe the last like two times ago when we talked about it. So it, it's, it's a pretty rapid change. Yeah. Now that we've blown by the hundred million people with their first dose, uh, the Biden administration has announced that they're, they've upped their goal to 200 million in their first hundred days. Now I think most experts thought the hundred million dollar goal was kind of like a, a low bar to basically like set the bar low and let's blow past it. Um, rather than set it high and come nowhere close, which was happening in October, November, December, January. Um, so we can start feeling good about ourselves. <laughs> um, but in Door County, 75, more than 75% of those age 65 or older have now gotten at least one dose, which is a massive uptake of it. The There are still some stragglers who just haven't been able to navigate the system. And, and part of that is there's, I mean, I've talked to several of them who just struggle with the um, working things out online and getting people on the phone and people who just want to get on the phone. I've also talked to people who are like, well, I want this specific vaccine. And at a certain point, you're like, all right, buddy, there's a crisis. Like, you don't don't sit here in the buffet line and, and get nitpicky about it. Like, right. Um, well, and you said, you know, that 75 percent number that translates to a pretty big number of our overall population, too, just because yep. of Door County's age demographics. Absolutely. So I think like 75 percent of that over 65 is over 25 percent of the regular population. Correct. Correct. Yep. So that's I mean, that's really good news. We and when we hit that mark, that 20, 25 percent mark early in March, too. So to be able to kind of look at this and be like 25 percent of our overall population and the majority of our most vulnerable population are already vaccinated like that, that starts to change your perspective on what the summer is going to look like right away. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, you, you start a lot of things become pretty damn safe at that point. Um, you you look at Door County's numbers. We have a, we're getting about two thousand people vaccinated a week. That should jump significantly in the next couple of weeks because uh, in talking to public health in the hospital, they're getting they're expecting more doses next week than they've ever gotten before. So, and they're expecting more of the Johnson and Johnson doses. And one of the things that they've they've still struggled to do is um, there are certain populations that have been hesitant to come in. You know, you look at some of the immigrant population has been hesitant to go into like a government center to get vaccinated in in fears of potentially, you know, potentially being undocumented and going after that vaccine. Um, And then there's also some shut-ins, you know, older elderly people. And that's been an issue for healthcare up here for a while for uh, this segment of the population. So, you know, you get something like a Johnson and Johnson vaccine might be perfect for some of those populations who might be harder to get them to come back for a second dose. If you can get them in for the first dose, and then scheduling a second dose for somebody who's a shut-in and sending one staff member out in kind of far-flung areas of the county driving around to get that dose. Now you can see using the Johnson & Johnson, it's just a one trip and you and you get that person taken care of. So that opens up some flexibility to get some of that last marginal increment of people vaccinated. And then you're left with, 
I don't, I don't know what that number is going to be in Door County. If it's 10, 15, 20% of people who are going to just not go out and get vaccinated. Um, but that's probably what, what we're down to now. So I think you're going to see those vaccination, more and more appointments open up to the broader public. Right. Well, and I, I encourage anybody who is under 65, but maybe had some other reasons for needing the vaccine soon to check the requirements now, because those changed on March 22nd to include uh, people with pre-existing conditions as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you weren't eligible before, uh, but still were at a higher risk, I would double check the requirements now to see if you're now available. I would, I would guess you might be. Yeah. And now places are like Door County Public Health has made it through their entire wait list. So that now they have opened their online scheduling portal. And so has Door County Medical Center. If you already have an account with them, you can now schedule your vaccine appointment. If you are in that eligibility group, you can do that online. So things are starting to get easier. And again, starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel. At the same time, we had a slight uptick in cases last week for a couple of days. And we did have one new hospitalization, but and one new death in the last 10 days, I think. Um, and then at Northern Door Children's Center, there has been a small outbreak of cases there related to one particular room. And, um, you know, it's it's not it's not a knock on the, the Children's Center. I mean, there are everyone's had outbreaks. So it's just going to happen. Every so many restaurants, so many other businesses. But it just reminds you that, like, OK, this is this is still happening. So we still got to be safe. We still got to be because even a couple of friends of mine, I we both send our children to Northern Door Children's Center. Um, I've spoken to friends and they're fine, but they also don't like having a really bad bout of the flu for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, right. It's still not fun. So even if uh, we tend to talk about this disease in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, and but there's also people who go end up having to go to the hospital and get some treatment, but they're not actually a hospitalization because they're an outpatient and nobody wants to go to the hospital and right. nobody wants to be stuck at home and miss work and stuff for the flu. So there's still plenty of reasons to be very cautious and, and smart. Yeah, well, and I mean, think about even the people who get very sick but don't go to the hospital and are still out with symptoms for two weeks. Right. Right? Like, yeah, it's a very bad case of the flu, but that's not like, a, well, I was I was better in 48 hours kind of thing. It yeah. can knock you out for quite a while. Yep. Um, and the, the other thing, too, about Northern Door Children's Center is this is going to be something that's still going to be a challenge as we move forward, even with vaccinations, because they're just now doing the the tests on people under 16, right? right? So uh, even, you know, up until high school, you're going to have un- unvaccinated people in contact with each other all the time. And the numbers don't really support young adults, children, and infants getting really bad cases of it, but there's still vectors for it as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's always going to be a thing up until everybody can get vaccinated. Uh, but hope Northern Door Children's Center and other daycares have done a really good job of keeping things separate. Like you said, it targeted, or it happened in one room and that didn't spread out to other teachers or other faculty. Or other yeah, students. there's there's your value of not um, crossing your teachers between classes and crossing parents <laughs> between classes and stuff. And and they got the word out and quarantined those parents and had to close that room. And uh, so far, it seems like it's it's kept it to that room. Right. But still stinks for the parents in that room. Right. Uh, so last thing I want to talk about this week is uh, it is about the time when things start opening back up again. We're getting to the end of March. And March traditionally is when even places that were open all winter long kind of take a little break. Uh, so it can feel it can feel more dead than normal in the winter in yeah. March. But at the end of March and into April and May, 
that's where we start to get things coming alive again and opening up. And in addition to businesses reopening this year, there's going to be a number of new businesses that are opening as well. Uh, and you and I have heard of a couple of them. So I just wanted to talk about some of the ones that are on our radar right now. Uh, but we'll, we'll continue to publish new businesses as we hear about them in the paper. But to start, uh, there's some interesting new stuff and a lot of uh, new owners to old buildings and kind of changing things up that way. Yeah. So uh, Angie McMahon is starting up Shiny Moon Cafe cafe uh, up on top of Fish Creek Market where Mr. Helsinki's used to be. Right. And uh, that it's such a cool space. I've only been in there a couple of times when it was Mr. Helsinki's. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested to see what Angie does with it as a cafe and, and coffee house, basically. Yeah, uh, that was a cool one to hear. Um, that space was, you know, for those of us who right around my age, that was kind of like the first kind of cool, somewhat urban feeling restaurant up there. Mr. I was just going to say just that whole, like that feeling of walking off the street corner and going upstairs yeah. above another business to this kind of like cool, more hidden away spot. Yeah. It, it feels different than anything else. Yeah. So you got that space. It'll be interesting. Other, uh, there has been like a fish Creek, a lot of little coffee shops have cycled through that community over the years and none of them really seem to take hold except for blue horse which has been wildly successful and it's one of my favorite places to go in the county um down by the beach there so it'll be interesting but i think like most towns can use a couple of coffee shops yeah. and so it's going to be interesting they have that one coming and then uh, my neighbor cole and kara vanderlees with door county chocolate designs are opening another retail outlet with coffee at the top of the hill shops. So you have a second right. one coming up. Well, and I've heard too that top of the hill shops is kind of uh, revitalized a little bit now too. They have hmm. a new uh, coordinator in there and there's been, there's a cafe that's opened up there. Uh, so the shops are kind of changing around up there as well. Um, so that's a cool place to check out to just see new things in there this year. It'll be interesting to see how much the sidewalks and better pedestrian access in Fish Creek impacts top of the hill shops because that right. was a, it's kind of a weird spot for a retail establishment across the street from Gibraltar School. It's easy to miss. Um, it's at the corner of Spring Road and Highway 42. But there's never been sidewalks that take people up the hill from the downtown shopping corridor, even though there was the Y, the school, and there's two fairly sizable hotels right there on that corner. But let's say you're staying at that hotel, you almost automatically get in your car to drive somewhere because there was never like a, a pedestrian thoroughfare. So I wonder if this increase in smarter urban planning by Fish Creek by finally having sidewalks there might really help that retail sector and also connect those hotel res guests to the larger community on foot rather than by car yeah. in a community that always complains about parking. Sure, and I think it will because that, that whole loop is very walkable. You can mm -hmm. walk all the way from the, the corner or even down and even further down by Sunset Park, you can walk that whole expanse all the way up to Top of the Hill Shops and beyond to the YMCA. And then you've got a really nice built-in crosswalk there to come back down the other side. Mm -hmm. So it makes a really good loop just for walking anyway. Sure. Uh, and if you want to kind of break that loop up, Top of the Hill Shops is right in the middle. Yeah. So a couple other things that are kind of being shaken up in Fish Creek as well uh, is White Cottage Red Door, which was once raised Cherry Hut and then was the Cherry Hut is now going to be the Door County Cherry Hut. So <laughs> new new owners in there and kind of going back to the historic naming convention. But from what I understand, it's going to have uh, some interesting stuff in there as well. Some more beer, a uh, little bit more modern food, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I talked to Mike Schwanis of Creative Business Solutions, who is um, the, the broker on that deal, um, who's actually been 
doing a lot of sales right now. He's also the guy behind the the condos in Egg Harbor that we've talked about on this podcast. And then he was a guy who was brokering the sale of Jupiter's gin joint in Fish Creek as well. Another new business. Right. Um, but yeah, you said the, the plans for that are it's Jason Estes from, uh, Sunny's Pizzeria in Surgeon Bay has bought it and it, He's working with Trent Snyder, the brewer from Bridge Up Brewing Company, and it sounds like some sort of beer garden and uh, retail space and and food trucks and, and kind of things. So I've got to follow up and get more details from them, but it's going to be interesting what they do there. It's a it's an interesting spot for that kind of business, right? Just being outside of the downtown, there's really not a lot of commercial. There's no commercial around it, um, so it's definitely going to be have to be like a drive to destination spot for people. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking the same thing because it is kind of like right in the middle of nowhere between Egg Harbor and Fish Creek, right? Or Judville and Fish Creek. And don't tell Judvillains it's the middle of nowhere. Well, I didn't, you know, <laughs> the middle of nowhere is, is but come north on, it's of the middle Judville. of nowhere. It's purgatory. Right. It's, yeah. Um, but, uh, it, it draws your eye when you drive by it. I wonder if it's going to pull people in to check it out. And then when they see that it's, you know, like a beer garden and food kind of thing, I mean, they'll, they'll still have retail there as well, I'd, I'd assume. Uh, but I wonder how that's going to play out. It's a cool big space with a lot of room to do stuff outdoors. And I think it'll be great for that. I'm just I'm interested to see yeah. what they do. Maybe we'll have to check in with Trent and uh, um, Jason, get them on the podcast, find out what the heck's going to go on there. Yeah. You mentioned Juniper's Gin Joint. What happened there? So that was sold last fall or winter. I can't remember when I reported on that. Um, that that sold. It's gonna. Be, I don't know what if it's gonna have a new name, but there were plans for kind of changing the the dynamic of that building, right? Um, to have like a retail space. I think an ice cream shop and candy shop of some sort, um, and then a restaurant cafe in there as well. So it's gonna be interesting what that looks like come this summer, but another place that's changed hands. I mean, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of this when we started the conversation, but these are all fish Creek places that, that are popping top of mind. Fish Creek grill also sold. And we're waiting to find out what exactly happens with that property. Yeah. uh, I talked to Scott Schmitz there uh, who's taking it over and he said that he is still trying to hammer down exactly what it's going to be. He he said that if I wanted to open in two days, I could, but they're going to take a little bit more time to, to really nail down their aesthetic and their idea for that place, but should be really cool when it does open up. Um, Scott Schmitz also opened uh, Bison and Bison in Fish Creek a couple of years ago as well, which if you've ever been in there and you kind of get the, the feel for the eclectic taste that's in there. Yeah. I think that if that translates over to this new spot as well, it's going to be a cool place. Yeah. Bison and Bison being the place where if I need a gift for a dude, that's where I go. Yeah. If you, (laughs) if you're going to a wedding up here and you need to get anybody, a groom, a gift, that's the best place to to stop (laughs) it. You could pick literally anything off the shelf and you'd have yourself a winner. Yeah. Um, Juniper's gin joint, that, that building is really interesting. I think uh, it's massive. Yeah. It's big. The barrel room, I believe was in there as well, which was kind of a retail component. And then you have the, the downstairs and the upstairs dining as well. And the upstairs dining has this kind of more open feel. Like it's not rooftop dining, but it feels like it yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see that place, uh, how they utilize that as well. But yeah. you, you can't really go wrong there in terms of opportunities. You would think, I mean, if you if you kick out good food and a good product and um, and connect with the community at that, it's, it's, it's felt a little disconnected from the community for a while um, on that corner. But, you know, it's for years, most people knew it as the CNC Supper Club um, before right. it became Juniper's Gin Joint. And when it was the CNC, it was integral. It was, it was a, a staple vision locally. Like people just thought of like, you think of Fish Creek and you think of the CNC, the White Gull and the Bayside. 
and bouncing between those kind of places. And it'll be interesting if the new owner can kind of revive that feel to that space. I mean, because you can't, you can't really ask for a much better location than that. So let's bounce out of Fish Creek for a little bit. One last thing to chat about is uh, some stuff that's going on in Bailey's Harbor. Uh, so kind of kind of new things happening uh, right now. Uh, tell me a little bit about what Bailey's Harbor is looking at, uh, specifically with Nelson's. Yeah, you know, for several years, ever since Nelson's hardware store in Bailey's Harbor closed down, people have wondered what's, what's going to happen with that property. And there's always been speculation that, well, the town should buy it, but it's not cheap. Last night, the we're, we're recording this on Friday. The on Thursday night, the Bailey's Harbor Town Board voted to agree to a, a purchase price on that property. I believe it's like a little over one point nine million to buy that property, and that that's not final. It's not like when the village's sister Bay decides to buy something, the board decides to buy it and they buy it. Um, in a town, they reach an agreement on a price and they take that to the voters, and then at the annual meeting and then the voters at the annual meeting get to say like yes or no literally like i'll sit in a big town hall and in liberty grove when i've been at meetings like this you get a piece of scratch paper and if you're a resident you vote (laughs) just kind of like town of gibraltar when they looked at the redmond property sure so it's i don't don't, haven't seen the details on the property yet and i know we're going to do a much more in-depth podcast about this but you know there's significant water um shoreline frontage at that parcel um it's a big chunk of the of property right next to the Bailey's Harbor Marina. Um, it makes some some sense there. Obviously, contiguous public park space and things like that. So it's a really interesting opportunity for Bailey's Harbor. It's going to be very interesting to see how the town votes. I think just anecdotally, I've talked to a lot of people who think the town should buy it, but I, I, you never know how these votes go. In Liberty Grove, 10, 12 years ago, when they talked about buying the waterfront parcels in Gills Rock, it was voted down at a town meeting when about 450 people showed up. It was very split and contentious. They had to do this thing in the in the fire or in the um, county uh, highway department bays up there. And I'd imagine, I would think a lot of people will turn out for this one too. I don't know if it would be largely against or largely for. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to what the vision is for the property. Is, has, any been, has anything been said yet on what a plan might be, or is it all preliminary at this point? I think it's all preliminary. And my experience in seeing these things play out in Door County, the more specific you are about what you want to do with that property is actually, it sounds maybe backward, but that seems to be worse for the potential approval of it. So when Liberty Grove went to buy the Gills Rock property and there were kind of like, hypothetical plans for a marina and all and some specific uses you get a lot of the backlash because people are are like well i don't want it for that so then they vote no um same thing in gibraltar with the redmond property when they came out with all these proposals for it there were a lot of reasons for people to be against it so they voted no generally when a town comes forward and says we want to buy this property just to preserve it and then figure out what to do and we're going to go to the residents and see what you want that in my experience here, that has always worked. Um, that worked Liberty Grove when they came back to voters for the Gills Rock parcel 10 years later with a slightly lower price and said, we have no plans. We'll set up a committee. We'll do input sessions. You tell us what you want. Well, then it got voted for overwhelmingly. Um, Sister Bay, when they did Waterfront Park and they and they said, hey, we're, we're not telling you what we're doing with this. We're going to bring you all in and figure it out. It gets buy-in versus one person's idea or one board's idea. Uh, usually... If a board comes forward and says, here's how we plan to use it, 
oddly enough, that that doesn't sell people very well, at least in my experience. Right. Well, and the I think the opportunity there's more opportunity there as a public space than there would be privately, at least from from what I'm thinking. Because what goes in there to replace Nelson's, right? You've got the the building there, and like, what can you reuse that for? Can it be turned into condos? Can it be turned into a restaurant? Like, what happens there privately compared to how do you use that space publicly? I think that that's an interesting thing to to think about. Yeah, I don't know how the setbacks work. I'd imagine you'd be grandfathered in with your foundation and things like that. But I mean, never doubt the ability of someone to find a way to squeeze all of the condo they can on any parcel in Door County. That's fair. Uh, so what, what comes next for this? When, uh, when will people be voting on it? Uh, the annual meeting, I believe, is April 20th. And I don't know where they're going to hold that. I doubt they can hold it in the town hall because I would, I would have a hunch that you're going to have at least a couple of hundred people come out for that vote. Um, Liberty Grove, like I said, in their meeting, 400 plus. Town of Gibraltar had 400 plus at their annual meeting. So when you get a, a parcel like this with in the $2 million range, it it brings people out. Whereas a few years ago, I think Bailey's Harbor tried to buy a parcel, not on the water, um, but next to a park for like $150,000. I don't know. It might've been like 30 people showed up and voted against it. (laughs) So. Right. Well, we will, we'll get more information then, but we'll also get a little bit more information on the podcast as well. So David Elliott is the the interim town chair in Bailey's Harbor. uh, And he has been pushing for this as well. He's going to come on to chat with me about what this project could mean uh, and, and what steps have been kind of uh, moved on in order to to make this thing desirable as well. Uh, so we'll have him on the podcast uh, here to, to give more information on that. Uh, with that, Miles, is there anything else that folks need to know this week uh, before we jump into our fun weekend coming up? I think that covers it. All right. Uh, speaking of fun weekends, uh, what's the weather going to look like? Is it going to be fun or is it just going to be another gray day? I don't look at the weather, Andrew. I have a child now. That's, that's fair. <laughs> you can just walk outside and go, all right, today's a wash. And then go back inside. <laughs> Thank you, Miles. And I uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks, Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at the Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.